Hello, and welcome back to The Give and Go. I'm your co-host, Reynoso, here with my boy, Soltero. What's up, guys? Ecuador is up, bro. Ecuador. Ecuador is up next, making their fourth appearance at a World Cup. That in itself surprises me a lot because I feel like I've seen them every single World Cup, but they actually had some absences. Their first World Cup appearance was just 20 years ago, in 2002. That was their first? The first one, man. Oh, my God. The first one. Group stage exit, but they're a 2000s-only team, man. They didn't exist before the, before that Whoa. time, in my opinion, man. That, that's crazy. Something changed in the Federation. I don't know what it was, but from 1930 to 2000, they were just not able to qualify, man. 2006, they had their best run in the World Cup, making it to the round of 16, where they lost to England 1-0. Okay. And so there's already this storyline forming of if they get second in Group A, they could potentially face off against England okay. once again in the round of 16 to avenge the demons. Yeah, yeah, it could get really interesting. 2014, they had a group stage exit. Yeah. That was it. No show in 2018, and now they're mm. back in 2022, getting fourth place in Comebol's qualification system. Seven wins, five draws, six losses, 27 goals for, 19 goals against. They get drawn into Group A with Qatar, Netherlands, and Senegal. That's Ecuador, bro. Ecuador shows up to the tournament as one of the youngest teams mm. here it's crazy, bro. You look at their squad, so many 20, 21, 22-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Maybe some guys are like 25, but very little guys that are over the age of 30. And that's what makes this team truly, truly intriguing and special because it's always fun just seeing a young, youthful team at the tournament. They managed to qualify having a really good campaign, surprising and honestly being, in my opinion, the third best Comebol team throughout qualification. Uruguay eventually managed to overlap them due to them just popping off in those last few games and Ecuador slowing down a little bit. So that's what I got for Ecuador to start off. What are your thoughts on Ecuador, bro? I consistently find myself getting caught up with Ecuador, man. And I'm talking about over the last 12 years. I remember in the buildup to 2014, I was so hyped for this Ecuadorian side because they had so much talent. Right before the tournament, Ener Valencia was scoring 20 goals for Pachuca. But not only that, they were playing very dynamic style of football. And I was so high on them going into 2014, especially since it was in South America, in Brazil. And they had a lackluster group stage, and it shocked me. Because I was like, man, like after having such a successful campaign to qualify, what happened? Where did that energy go? And ultimately, what happened is they just got done in. They got done in by better sides, and it kind of opened my eyes to the idea that like maybe Ecuador is good in a closed space, in a closed system where they only play against teams that are maybe their style of football or their caliber. I'm talking about teams like Peru, teams like maybe Chile, Paraguay, Venezuela. They perform and outperform, honestly, against that type of team. But when they play against a team that they just don't recognize their style, that 2014 running really showed me, I was like, shit. Like maybe, maybe there's, there, there has to be more. There has to be more to this dynamic style of football, whether it's tactics, whether it's just maybe 
readiness for a tournament. I don't know what it was. Another thing I will say, though, is that we'll never truly know what could have happened in 2014 due to the tragedy of Chucho Benitez, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that really did strike yeah. me as a big, a big miss, obviously, an RIP, absolutely. Because that, that, that really did affect me and I'm sure the whole nation of Ecuador because that, that, that was so sad. For 2018, it was kind of a similar thing as far as the qualification running was for Ecuador, man. Because I don't know if you remember, but that the first, like, what, six games of Comembo qualification... Ecuador were flying high. Yeah. Flying high. And I'm going to say one name in particular, and I'm going to see if any viewers recognize this name. I'm going to say this one name, Miller Bolaños. And this is going to be a very niche name, <laughs> but if anyone watched Liga MX, when this man popped the fuck off, man, for Tijuana and for the Ecuadorian national team for like a good nine months, <laughs> he was incredible. Yeah. But he was a part of that Ecuador team that just shined for a good six, seven games in that comable qualification to the point where I was like, wow, if Ecuador play like this, then yes, finally, they'll show up in 2018 and have the tournament that I thought they were going to have in 2014. But what happened? They didn't even make it. Mm -mm. They didn't even make it to 2018. Mm -mm. They completely collapsed and played really, really poor football for the remaining 12, 14 games in the comable qualification. I was like, God damn it. I got bamboozled again, but this time even worse because they didn't even qualify. And in a weird way, I can actually say very similar things about the 2022 qualification because I, in my opinion, I thought Ecuador started very hot to this qualification, but there definitely was a form of, let's say the last six, seven games where you know, they just weren't winning like they used to. They were losing big games, but they, they still were, you know, doing, doing well. Doing well enough to actually qualify. And that, that, that's one thing I will give them credit for is that nowhere near the same collapse that they had in 2018. So I'm not saying that this Ecuadorian team is poor because they're not. They were still good enough to qualify for 2022. And I do think this is probably one of the most or the most talented Ecuadorian side I have ever seen. Way more talented than the 2014 side and way more talented than the peak that they reached in that 2018 qualification side, man. But still... I'm still a little concerned going into this tournament as to how I should view this Ecuadorian side because I only see inconsistency. But it gets really interesting, man, because you said one thing that really does catch my eye, youth. You know, maybe that's why they're inconsistent over a course of 18 fucking games in a grueling convo qualification scheme. I can understand that. And maybe, maybe I'm being a little harsh in that sense, in the sense that like, look, a team this young, a team this dynamic, can I really expect them to be consistent over 18 games? I got to step a little bit back, and I understand that. And so that's why, going into this tournament for 2022, I actually, I want to get excited. I want to get excited for this Ecuadorian side because when they do play high-flying football, man, they can get a result against Argentina. You know, they can go toe-to-toe with Brazil, two of the biggest nations on the planet, not even speaking just South America. 
but you know, we can see a low side of this Ecuadorian mm-hmm. side. We can see them, mm-hmm. you know, do poorly against Paraguay. We can see them lose out against Uruguay because, as you said, Uruguay ultimately topped them actually mm-hmm. in the table, and it took Uruguay several games to actually do it. But it's because Ecuador let themselves go a little bit in that in that qualification, so it gets so interesting because I am caught in between two different mindsets here. Do I believe that Ecuador will be this inconsistent side that plays good for ninety minutes in one game and then is just shite for the next two games, and ultimately? Does that mean that they don't get out of the group stage? Or do I get caught up in the mindset that this Ecuadorian team can play high-flying football against the best and maybe can dazzle, maybe can just score beautiful goals and play really dynamic football? I I don't know which one I'm going to pick, but let's see where we go through the rest of this analysis. There was a time during the World Cup qualification process for Ecuador where they were, like you said, doing incredible, incredible, and they had such a hot start. But the biggest question at the time was, can they hold on to this start? Can they hold on to this positioning? You know, being the third best team in Comebol, I was like, please, Ecuador, please pull it off. And ultimately, they did. They were a little shaky towards the end, and Uruguay ultimately did top him, but they did. I, 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 almost, I almost think of Ecuador as like a, like a troubled youth, man. Like, a, uh, like that son that you know has a lot of potential. Yeah. You know? Sometimes they go out there and they just show moments of, of true brilliance, you know? comes back home with an A plus on his papers, man. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's my goddamn son. But then there's other days where the principal calls you in and he's like, hey, your son was breaking mirrors today. Yeah. He was, uh, he, he brought a bat to school, you know? <laughs> Things get shaky. You're just like, son, shaky. what are you doing? Like but deep down, you know, if you can just set him straight, this kid can go to Harvard, man. <laughs> that's who Ecuador is for me going yeah. into this World Cup on yes. the same wavelength as you. Yes. If they can set their minds straight, they could achieve incredible things. And who's in charge of setting their minds straight? Well, it's Gustavo Alfaro, yeah. who uh, coached Boca for, I think, one season and then yeah. got the call up to the Ecuadorian squad. He's been coaching these guys through their qualification cycle. I, I bring him up because I think he's a big part of why a team so young, so inexperienced as this, has been able to hold their own in Comebol because regardless of the state of the confederation as a whole, it's still very difficult for a young team to thrive anywhere, man. Anywhere. For Ecuador to do it in this system and showing that they can play up against Argentina, Brazil, these really good teams. I mean, that that to me, a lot of that credit is given to Gustavo Alfaro. Immediately off the bat, once I saw Alfaro's first couple games, I was like, oh, okay, he's completely changing the mindset of this Ecuadorian national team because prior to his assignment, Ecuador were doing really bad, man. They were in really deep water and they couldn't figure out how to get out of it, man. There were so many Copa Americas, especially in that last one where Gomez was the coach. Ecuador were horrible, man. They were really, really bad. And I immediately was just like, yep, this is going to be Ecuador for 2022 qualification. I was like, this is what I've come to expect. Yeah. And I'm disappointed. Like a because, Venezuela type Yeah, because yeah. the, the thing is, at the end of the day, I actually do have high hopes for a talented Ecuadorian side. Because when you do look at the squad, there is talent to be unleashed, to be maximized. But cr- all credit to Alfaro because he just said, look... Let's play free-flowing football. Let's just, I'm going to play who's in form. It doesn't matter if you're 19 or if you're 32 or if you're 20. If I have a back line of all 20-year-olds and if they're all in form, I'm going to go with them. And I think that actually meant a lot for the Ecuadorian players themselves because they were like, all right, look, he's completely believing in us as a unit. And I think they took that to heart because, as you just said, he was able to line them up for success. 
And that is one thing I will give credit to Alfaro and the Ecuadorian team as a whole because they've the one thing that they've been able to bank off of is just themselves. And yeah, and as a yeah. youthful there's a belief, there's a belief. And as a squad full of youth, that's pretty much the only thing you can do. You can't look to your veterans. You can't look to a coach who's been there for years. Your veterans, 25. Exactly, bro. <laughs> exactly. So I think Alfaro came in with the perfect mindset on how to change this Ecuadorian side from being just complete failure to actual good success. I'm going to name a lot of players in the defensive unit because mm. it's just, it's, I love these guys, man. Estupiñan. Yeah. Incapié. Torres. Preciado. Castillo. Poroso, Cruz, goalkeepers, Dominguez or Galindez. That's already a lot of names right there that have yeah. so, ma so many stories, so many different amazing performances to their resume that we can point out and reasons to believe that this team could really hold their own at the World Cup. More specifically, I want to highlight a couple of these guys. Yeah. Pervis Estupiñan, man. Yeah. The uh, left back for Brighton. Brighton has a connection with Ecuadorian players. We'll talk about it with Moises Caicedo as well. Mm -hmm. They've done so well about highlighting these players and putting them in positions to succeed. He's been great for them. He's been a really reliable player. But what surprises me the most about him, and same with Caicedo, is that they're going up against Premier League competition, man, every single week, and they're holding their own, bro. You go through that at the club level, and you look over at what happens on a national team, and it makes complete sense to me, man. These guys are facing really good competition already that they know exactly what to do and the level they have to play at when it comes time to qualify for the World Cup. They're not afraid. And that's the thing that I see across all these players is there's no fear, bro. Mm -mm. There's no fear with any of these Ecuadorian players. They're ready to go at any of these guys, and I think Estupiñan really embodies that. When I think about what an Ecuadorian player is in 2022, I think Pervis Estupiñan, man dynamic, physical, and like you said, fearless. Good on the ball, but just loves to run up and down the entirety of the pitch, man. And you said it, playing very well for Brighton was the apparent heir to Marco Corella as far as offensive standards were concerned. And he had a very, very good season for Villarreal last year, a team who went to the semifinals of the Champions League. So Estupinan has been playing high quality football in Europe for two years now, in my opinion. So. As you well perfectly put it, he is the starting left back for Ecuador, and he's a perfect type of player that you would want starting for Ecuador in general. Yeah, that, that same type of praise can be given right alongside him to Incapié, mm -hmm. who has been so good for Ecuador and for his club. And I think out of a lot of these guys in this Ecuadorian team, he's one of the most surefire starters. Yeah. This guy is going to be leading the back line. He's been starting nearly every game for Alfaro's Ecuador. So good for him, man. Good for Incapié, who's also, I think, like... 23 or 24 years old. Dude, he's, still, he's still really... Bro, for real? He's 20. 20? Yes. Shout out Incapié, man. Dude, the impact that Incapié could have for Ecuador, I think, is something that Ecuador, I don't think I've ever had at the back. I don't think I've ever seen a player be as talented, but as also commanding from a leadership point of view as far as the defense is concerned for Ecuador, man. Seriously, like, I don't know if I could name you who was the starting center backs in 2014. Yeah, I I, or at any like Copa America, yeah. man. Like... For, for Ecuador to have the talent and the type of player in Piero Incapié, it's honestly crazy. Going to Bayer Leverkusen from Ar Argentina and immediately getting a starting position is so impressive. But you see that translation for the Ecuadorian national team. As you said, he is a surefire starter for Gustavo Alfaro at the back for Ecuador. But, dude, the impact that he could have could actually be make or break for this Ecuadorian team, man. Because I'll be completely honest. 
I don't know if Ecuador would be sure at the back if they didn't have Icampia. Yeah, I'll yeah. be completely honest. He might be the difference defensively for Ecuador. Yeah, he has some incredible games. And if you're Ecuadorian, bro, you're excited about this guy because you have him for at least the next 10 years guiding your back line. It's just, it's unheard of to hear of a center back specifically have such a rise the way that Incapié has. Yes. To even be starting at Bayern is insane, like at such a young age at the center back position. So props to him, man. My question to you is, who do you think he's going to be paired up with in that center back slot? Yeah, I've seen recently he's gone with Poroso. I'll be completely honest. I don't know much about him. I did see him play in Ecuador's last friendly against Saudi Arabia. And he looks solid. But again, I can't get a good, complete take on him. You're just not going to get the same sort of assurance that you, you're going to get with Incapié. But maybe that's okay. Maybe that's why Incapié's impact is almost twofold because his paired center back is just going to be lower in quality. It is just going to be that. And I think that's just going to be the state of fact for Ecuador at the back. But I think it's going to be ultimately okay because you still have a center back playing high quality football, essentially. I think Boros is playing in France right now. Mm -hmm. And then the other name would be Torres, um, which I'm actually curious to hear about what happened here because I, from what I saw in the World Cup qualification system, Tor Torres started a good amount of games, but then these past few games, these past few friendlies, it's been nothing but Poroso, bro. If any Ecuadorian viewers are watching, we'd love to know, why do you guys think Alfaro made that ultimate decision to stop starting Torres and go to Poroso? Because he's been doing it a lot recently now and it's become like a, a favorite for him. So I think he's gonna be the one starting at the World Cup. Over on the right side, you also have a really interesting uh, duel between two quality players in Preciado and Castillo. And it's a similar situation as well. Castillo was starting a lot of games during the World Cup qualification, and now Preciado seems to be the go-to option. Yeah, I think Castillo is a solid option. Obviously, Leon player just got there this apertura, and he's had a solid season. I think he's a little bit more defensive-minded. I he's he's okay going forward in that fullback position, but. I would say he's a little bit inaccurate just in general with his decision-making, his crosses, his dribbling, his penetration. So I think that's why Preciado maybe might get that starting position over Castillo simply because I think Preciado is just a little bit more technical. He's a little bit more offensive-minded, but he's still pretty good at the back, playing for Genk. But not only that, he was a Copa Sudamericana winner for, in 2019 mm. for Independiente del Valle. When you see Ecuadorian sides at club level, you see these dynamic fullbacks, man. And that's what I was saying, why I think Estupiñan and Preciado, for example, are just the epitome of what it means to be an Ecuadorian player because you just get dynamicism. You get relentless style of play out on those wings. So I think Preciado really fulfills that role for Alfaro. And if he does trust Incapié and Poroso, then I think it's actually completely fine with going offensive fullbacks, especially if Alfaro wants to complete this narrative of, Ecuador is dynamic, we're offensive, we're aggressive, then I think you definitely start Estupiñón on one side and Preciado on the other. Dude, I think regardless of how far this team goes, Ecuador has the best names at the World Cup, bro. Preciado, that sounds like a <laughs> disco superstar, man. Yeah. You look over at Incapié, that sounds like a French guy trying to say the word handicapped. Yeah. <laughs> Estupiñón yeah. sounds like the fanciest way to call someone stupid. These names are incredible, <laughs> yeah, bro. Dope, Poroso, yeah. that's, that's insane. Castillo, that sounds royal. Yeah. And it keeps going up front. We'll talk about that, but... Jesus Christ, man. I'm loving how these names are rolling out of my out the tongue right now. Lastly, you know, the running theme with this team is youth. It's funny how at the goalkeeping position, complete opposite, complete opposite. bro. Grandpa's back there. I think yeah. they're both 35 years of age, actually. Yeah. You have Dominguez and Galindez, who could potentially start. 
I see Dominguez starting because in those big matches in the World Cup qualification, it was Dominguez who started that match. Yeah. And I see him ultimately getting the call up there. Well, I was going to say, dude, I've never known any other Ecuadorian keeper. It's been Dominguez for over 10 years. If you're an Ecuadorian keeper... Geno's that long. Yeah, it's been that long. Damn. It's, been, uh, it's been that long, Damn. bro. I think he made his first appearance for Ecuador like in 2011. It was before, or maybe 2012. It was before 2014. And personally, I've never seen any other Ecuadorian keeper play at big international stages, whether it's the Copa America or the World Cups that they played in 2014. And I see the same thing here in 2022. I do think it's going to be Dominguez. It's interesting because, I mean, honestly, even when he does play for Ecuador, I, I don't really see him do a lot, you know, just from a shot stopping point of view or even from like a commanding being big in the box point of view. But he's solid. He's a solid keeper. Again, he's been in the Ecuadorian system for over a decade now. And I, I only see him as being the starting goalkeeper for Ecuador. Dude, what is up with these South American teams outside of Brazil and Argentina? <laughs> Ecuador with Dominguez, <laughs> Colombia with uh, Ospina, um, Chile with Cadio Bravo, Chile, Chile with Bravo. Then you also have um, Uruguay with Muslera, yeah. and Bolivia with uh, Lampe. Lampe. Weird over reliance, but also like <laughs> the goalkeepers yeah. there have good careers, man. <laughs> they do, man. They, they want to get the spot. You're there for the next ten years if you're not on Argentina or Brazil, That's bro. That's the thing. Crazy. So Dominguez will probably get that start, and he will be ultimately shaping up this defensive unit. How do you feel about them though overall? Alfaro is going with this idea that. Ecuador is very offensive, but I think they have to double down on it, man. It's the only thing that has made them effective in qualification. The idea that Ecuador can actually go forward and score a lot of goals. But it is interesting because, I, I, and I, again, I said it when I was talking about him, I do think the presence of Incapié actually does give this Ecuadorian side a lot of assurance, man. I'm serious. If Incapié was not a part of the squad... I would think there'd be suspect at the back. But just by the singular fact that he is there and that he's going to play 90 minutes in every single game for Ecuador, I'm actually not too concerned. Now, if I compare them, if I compare them to Uruguay's backline, <laughs> dare I say I compare them to Argentina's I, or Brazil's yeah, backline, yeah, yeah. then obviously I see a dip in quality. Yeah. Absolutely. But by the fact that Alfaro can say, look, I know we're not going to be that good at the back, but here's what I'm going to do. Instead of just going completely defensive and just trying to kind of park the bus, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to have Estupinian go up and down that field. I'm going to have Presado do the same thing. And then I'm, I'm going to have Incampier and I'm going to have trust him. I'm going to trust him to cover the space. And look, if he concedes a goal, it's part of the plan. It's okay. It's not a bad thing for Ecuador to concede because they almost know that they're probably going to. So I'm actually completely fine with this backline because I think it's the only way that Ecuador can be successful. I would actually would hate it if they just went with a completely defensive line because yeah. at that point, I'd be like, okay, well, they're not going to be successful. Yeah. But by the fact that they're like, look, we're just going to double down on what we're good at, which is attacking, then I'm, I actually have no concerns. Now, like I said, they're, they're going to concede. Ecuador is going to concede to this World Cup. It's going to be how they respond. It's going to be how many goals can they score or, you know, maybe how good Incapié actually can be as the leader at the back. That's what's going to define Ecuador's defense for me. Yeah, it's kind of a theme for the teams in Group A, bro. Netherlands, Van Dijk, Senegal, <laughs> Kulevali, Ecuador, yeah. Incapié, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like, we got some of the best center backs in the game in this group. And yeah. it's crazy that Incapié will possibly have himself an opportunity to make himself a, a to have a bigger move to a bigger club if he puts in just an incredible shift at this tournament. Same theme continues, though, when you look up a little bit at those defensive midfielders because I think 
The idea of Ecuador is paralleled with the idea of holding your own. The Ecuadorian team is the poster boy for that phrase. Let's hold our own against any single team. I think the reason that they can play up to any opponent is because of players like the ones I'm about to mention, such as Moises Caicedo and Grueso, who have been their starting defensive midfielders, yeah. a pivot, uh, a wall that they've been able to form as they're both so incredibly talented at fulfilling those roles. But more specifically, man, Caicedo, bro, what a rise he has had, already being rumored to potentially go to teams like like Liverpool or Manchester United, big teams are looking for a defensive midfielder of the future. Caicedo is on that list of guys to look at because what he's done at Brighton has been incredible, bro. Going to Brighton like three years ago at the tender age of 17 yeah. and beginning that process of turning into a really good defensive midfielder, doing it under the genius of Graham Potter and succeeding, bro. Playing really big games, yeah. playing tough opponents every single week and outclassing them, man. Showing his true ability on the ball and to just stop these offenses and turn the ball around and push the offense forward for his own team. An incredible player overall, and I'm just, I'm really so impressed with him. He might be, crazy thing to say is that despite Incapié's incredible rise, he might be the most impressive Ecuadorian. It's, it's just a continuing theme for this team. I absolutely love the way that Caicedo plays, man. Box to box midfielder, but he does it with a with a almost flair. Not technically, but just the way he uses his body, the way that he attacks players who have the ball. He's ball hungry, man. When Caicedo doesn't have the ball and he's defending, the first thing that's on his mind is I need this ball back. Yeah, yeah. And I need it back. Yeah. And I you can see that hunger, that desire to get that ball. But what I love about Caicedo is that yes, he's a defensive midfielder, but he's low key offensive as hell man because as soon as he gets that ball back he is the first point of attack for both brighton and ecuador and it's so impressive man because like you said he's so young but he's able to basically dictate an entire squad because every single possession realistically starts with moises caicedo if he has the ability, which he does, he'll get that ball back. And then from there, he has the athleticism, the dynamicism to immediately look for an Ecuadorian in space. And for me, that's why Ecuador has been so successful when they are in this whole Conmebol qualification because Caicedo's ability, man, to just get that ball and penetrate, whether it's off a simple pass, but he just does it so quick. Yeah. Caicedo's quickness yeah. is honestly unparalleled when you think about it, man. I, I, I think a good comparison could be like an N'Golo Kante, right? The sense that he's just so physical, but when he gets that ball, he's low-key, incredibly technical. Again, you're not going to see him be flary like, like a Luka Modric, for example, but he does it in his own physical way. And again, he's just Ecuadorian. And I I love, again, that he's an Independiente del Valle product Damn, at the end man. of the day, man, because, dude, they have been so Turning. successful in the last five, six years, and maybe low-key why this Ecuadorian team has been so talented mm -hmm. uh, right now here in 2022. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you don't lose that much quality when you look to who's his partner in Carlos Grueso, man, because he's doing really solid right now in the Bundesliga for Augsburg. So you have two players who are playing high-level football, man, and two players that can really dictate play in that midfield. Yeah, I would, I would actually liken Caicedo a lot to, I'll make a crazy reference here, but we're going to go NBA now. Okay. I would compare him to prime Russell Westbrook, man. That's a man, good one. Because it's not his sole responsibility to get the rebound, right? That's why you have centers. But if he does get the rebound, 
His aggression yes. is incredible. His ability to push the pace and to transition the offense. Yes. If you have, if you're Ecuadorian, I don't know where you're from, but if you're watching this, <laughs> and you haven't no. seen it, a single minute NBA. What? Look up Russell Westbrook MVP season. You'll see Caicedo in an NBA player's body. It's crazy it to see, but it's an incredible comparison and in, in play style. Yeah. That's who Caicedo is, man. You pair him with Gressel, who also at Augsburg, you pointed out in one of the earlier podcasts yeah, yeah, when yeah. Uh, Augsburg got a big result against Bayern, yeah. and I can't, I can only imagine that Gressel was a big part of oh, no, the reason was. for why they were able to do yeah, that. So, you'd like you said, two big players with really dope names <laughs> <laughs> playing at a really high level. Yeah. Continuing on with this exciting Ecuadorian team, it's time we talk about the offense, man. Throwing some names at you here. Estrada, Reasco, Legend, Ener Valencia, yeah. Sarmiento, Leon's very own, Angel Mena, Cifuentes, Franco, Rojas, Ibarra, and my favorite, favorite Ecuadorian offensive player, man, Gonzalo Plata, bro. Ah, yeah, yeah, Gonzalo Plata. What a fucking player. This dude's a baller, man. This dude is a baller. He showed it to me the day that I sat my ass down and watched them play against Brazil. This dude is kind of tall. He's kind of lanky, but his ability on the ball is crazy, bro. It's crazy. He has just this uncanny ability to to dribble, man. And it doesn't make sense when you look at him. You wouldn't see him and think that he's a dribbler, but suddenly you see him get past two guys, past three guys, flirting with getting past the fourth guy. And you're like, holy shit, dude. This guy's a walking highlight reel. Love how he plays. Once again, an incredible goddamn name, man. Plata, Plata. bro. Don't play with me, man. <laughs> I love this guy. I love what he brings to the Ecuadorian team. And like we said, it's usually Caicedo who will look for a guy like Plata yes. to just set off, man, to just fucking fly that's exactly what plata does he grabs the ball and he just goes man he's thinking goal he's thinking assist he's thinking danger really excited to see him at this tournament really young as well if he takes this opportunity bro if he takes the responsibility that's been given to him by alfaro he could turn out to be one of the most exciting young players at this tournament yeah man i see gonzalo plata absolutely fulfilling that role of what you just so perfectly put bro in the sense that he's just gonna be that out and out winger he's gonna hug that touch line he's just gonna be waiting for that ball waiting <laughs> for it bro and as soon as he gets it he's just gonna try things he's just gonna penetrate as much as he can but that's what ecuador is all about it's just all about that penetration because you know i'll be completely honest I'm going to question Plata's output a little bit. You know, I don't think he's the best. You watch cross. your goddamn mouth, bro. <laughs> I, 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 don't think he's the, I don't think he has the best output maybe off the cross, sure, off sure. the final ball. But maybe it's also not to his own fault because he's playing with a, you know, a, a lackluster Valladolid side in La Liga, right? And it, it is tough to shine there when you're really the only guy that is just trying things out on that wing. But for Ecuador, that's when he really shines. And we, we've said it before, and I'll say it again. I love it when players have a weird club situation but have the talent <laughs> to just shine for the yeah. national team. And I think Plata has this chance because he's gonna have so much more freedom playing for Ecuador than he does at Valladolid, man. And I think for that reason, you're absolutely right. We potentially could see Plata just have an incredible tournament. Even if he doesn't score or assist a lot, we'll at least see him entertained. Kind of in the same vein that Luis Advincula and Andre Carrillo oh, had yeah. for Peru. Yeah. I mean, Output-wise, they really didn't do much, but my God, those two Peruvians entertained Mm -hmm. us in 2018. We could see the same goddamn thing for a lot of these Ecuadorian players, and I think Plata could 
definitely be one of them. And on, and on the opposite side on that wing, his counterpart, I, I see Romario Ibarra okay. being that go-to guy for Alfaro because, because he gives a little bit a different flavor for you. Yes, he's absolutely a winger, but I think he likes to get a little bit more creative. I think he likes to cut inside a lot more, and he definitely has the talent to do so. Pachuca's very own who are obviously high-flying right now as well. Just Liga, Liga Mex champions. Let's just call it now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just call it now, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think Ibarra <laughs> has been a big product in Mexico for a while now, and it's just translated to Ecuadorian success, and honestly, in really good timing. So to have a player like Ibarra, who's just in form, who's been in form for a couple years now, and to pair him alongside all the Ecuadorian players that we've had, it's really, really good timing. I think Ibarra's the perfect Ecuadorian player to kind of be a little bit more creative. But underneath, I think those two wingers, they'll, ha they'll be fed by the one and only Alan Franco, in my opinion. Oh, okay. I think Franco's going to start for this team. I think Alfaro likes the creativity that Franco brings because, you know, he's not, he's not the most pacey guy. He's low-key probably the more technical midfielders that Ecuador have. Very different from Caicedo and Grueso in the sense that, like, Franco doesn't really do a lot of defending, but that's why you play Grueso and Caicedo because they're going to get the defensive coverage. And then from there, you just give Franco license to roam, brother. He's going to get the ball in advanced positions, and his sole duty is just going to be create do whatever you can. Find players in space. You don't have to worry about defending whatsoever. Use your technical ability on the ball. Find that final through ball and just dazzle. Do what you can on the ball. And that's what I love about this Ecuadorian team, man, is that pretty much every single play we, that we've talked about has some sort of offensive impetus or creativity that they can yes. bring to this Ecuadorian side. And again, for as maybe less physical as Franco is, he makes up for it with his technical ability. You don't think Mena or Sarmiento can get that, that starting position there? I don't think so. I don't think Sarmiento's in good form right now at club level. And Mena, unfortunately, bro, he's just too past it. If this was Mena two, three years ago, he's mm. starting. He's starting mm. 100%. But at 34 years of age yeah. and in a team where we've really highlighted the youth, I think Mena at most would just come off the bench 60th minute so he can give a good 30 minutes. I do think Mena's just a little bit too old. But no, I'm not going to discredit how yeah. good Mena was in, in his prime, bro. Mena was incredible, especially for Leon in those title-winning years, bro. Angel Mena was an incredible player. And in my opinion, on his day, one of the best Liga Max players of his time for Leon when he was winning titles with him. But I do think his age is going to play a factor here, and I just don't see him starting. Yeah, man, outside of, I would say, Mexico, this is one of the more, this is one of the teams that probably has the most Liga MX based players, or at least oh, shit. potentially, yeah, yeah outside oh, yeah. of yeah, Mexico yeah, yeah. with Ibarra from Pachuca, um, back to back to finals there. That's impressive. Yeah. That means something. Angel Mena with Leon, but then let's try to unravel up front who's going to be that striker for them. Could it be Cruz Azul's very own Mikel Estrada? Yeah. Or are we going to consider the idea here of a also kind of old player now, but Ecuadorian legend, Ener Valencia? Yeah, this one gets really interesting because I, I just think it comes down to preference. I actually don't think it'd be a mistake if he goes with either one of them. I'll be completely okay. honest. Mm -hmm. I think if he goes with Valencia, you get that veteran type of experience. Something that you don't actually don't really have in this squad. But I think right up top in that number nine position, I think it's actually a good place to put a veteran because he's just gonna rely to be he's just gonna rely on being fed. Yeah. Which I think honestly, that is the one position I'd completely 
completely be okay with putting a veteran in, man. So I think Valencia still has the quality. Yeah, I mean, yes, I actually do think his age is not helping him because there was a point, man, when I completely trusted Valencia to score in every other game. You know, he had a 50% scoring rate, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, but ridiculous. I, I think his form has absolutely dipped. Now, on the other hand, you could just go with more of a player in his prime in Estrada, right? But in a similar vein, he, he still doesn't have incredible output. So I, 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 when you talk about weaknesses, I do think this number nine position is an absolute apparent weakness for Ecuador because whether you go with Valencia or whether you go with Estrada, I don't think you're really going to get that much, man. I'm being completely honest, man. I think you'll get good quality. I think you'll get good play. But when it comes to finishing those chances, man, right now, I don't know if I can trust either Estrada or Valencia to really put it home. Yeah, man, I'm a little disappointed because you look at the way this formation builds up. At the back, you got a really good, youthful player, 20 years old, Incapie. You go up one sector, Caicedo. You go up another sector, Plata. You go up one more, and then it just ends. <laughs> it ends. Imagine if they had like a like a 19-year-old at Lil right now, you know? Yeah. That, well, just, that just matched up with all these guys. That's what Leo Campagna was supposed to be, man. He got a big move to Europe. Not, not with a big club, but at a young age, he moved to Europe and he was supposed to be Ecuador's next shining young number nine. Basically what Valencia was eight mm -hmm. years ago. But my God, it did not turn out for Campania, <laughs> man. It has not turned out for him, bro. So you have to rely on an inconsistent Estrada and an aged Valencia, man. Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. If Valencia was just the same age as these other young players, oh, God. this would be an incredible team Jesus. for him, man. That is the squad. That's what we've analyzed. That's what we've seen. A squad that's very youthful. That's a few veterans here and there, but that ultimately is just going to risk it all, man. They're going to put it all out there. And it's time that we talk about predictions. Let's go. For the first time on the Give and Go's Deep Dives, there's going to be a switch. There's going to be a change in predictions that were given in past episodes. We're going to have a reverse. I'm using my reverse Uno card, man. Ah. I'm switching something up. It's okay. Stay with me here. I'm here. I'm here. I love this Ecuadorian team, man. Yeah. I really do. There's I love a lot the. To like. I, I, there's a lot to like. I love the idea. I love what they represent. Lots of teams would have the same squad and come into this way more scared, less willing to take a risk, and that ultimately isn't good for the sport. It isn't good for entertainment. Ecuador embraces what they are, and they're saying, "Fuck it, let's go for it. Let's go for it." And we might actually see them take it to these big teams. We might actually see them face up against a Netherlands squad and at the very least challenge them, bro. Make them earn what they need to get from them. Senegal as well. Going toe-to-toe -to -toe with this team that could maybe not be in the best form going in, Ecuador could take advantage and put themselves up and have a great game against the African champions. It's also fitting that they're set up to face off against the host nation because oftentimes, we saw it with like Saudi Arabia, it can be very scary facing off against a host nation, man. Yeah. It can be a huge mental game. Yeah. And we point out how with Saudi Arabia, experience came at play. And the lack of experience ultimately resulting in them getting blown out. Yep, You could say the same thing about Ecuador. They don't have the experience to face off against a host nation, but they have the mentality, bro. Mm. They do. And so I think that with all three teams, we're going to see Ecuador put in an incredible performance. And the reason that I say that we're going to have a switch here with the give and go predictions is because at first I had Senegal getting second place. Man. Right. I did. That was about a month ago. A lot of time has passed. I've thought on that and I've reflected on my prediction <laughs> there. I am officially putting Ecuador in that second place slot. Senegal will get third. Mm. And I am now in support of this Ecuadorian team going into this tournament. And I can't wait, bro. 
-hmm. I can't wait because they're going to get drawn against England in the round of 16. And they're going to have that opportunity to avenge that 2006 knockout stage run and potentially have a shot at going to the quarterfinals. I'm not saying they will do that, but just the fact that that chance will exist for them gets me so hyped. That's what the World Cup is about for me, man, is moments like that, full circle moments. Ecuador obviously opened the tournament against Qatar, which is gonna be, for me, the biggest game for Ecuador. If they don't win that game, then I think their hopes of getting out of the group oh, are done. Man, come on, they can tie. Even if they tie, I think it's done because at that point, they're going to have to beat either the Netherlands or Senegal. They beat will. Beat them. They will. They're going to have to beat They'll them. They'll win one of those. <laughs> They'll win one of those. And so I'm going to put a lot of pressure on that opener. And that's the thing, man. You kind of said it. Saudi Arabia opened the tournament and we're just starstruck as far as just oh, yeah. as, as far as the environment was concerned. And very well, the same thing could happen here. Now, I'm obviously hoping that's not because I share the exact same sentiment that you do. I love this Ecuadorian team. There is so much to love about the way they approach the game, the way that they play football at club level, on the international stage, in Europe, in South America. I love the way that Ecuador play. But even if they do win that game against Qatar, in that opener, man, they have to play against the African champion Senegal and a team that potentially could go make a deep run in this tournament in the Netherlands. And for me... I think Ecuador are in a very tough group. So tough that I actually do not see Ecuador getting out of this group. I'm going to maintain the idea that I do think that the Netherlands are very, very good. And I think Senegal, for as I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions on the Senegalese team, man, is not being dynamic, is not being having that flair or that, that likeness that Ecuador have. Because I'll be honest, do I like Ecuador more than Senegal? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't matter what you like. No, it doesn't. It matters on how you approach the game Mm -hmm. and ultimately who comes out on top after 90 minutes in a singular game. And when I see Ecuador against Senegal, I have Senegal beating them. When I see Ecuador against Netherlands, for as good as Ecuador are, I have the Netherlands beating them. The only game that I think Ecuador can get any sort of true points out of is going to be that opener. And like I said, if they don't win that game, it's curtains 100%. And I hope, and I want to make this very clear, I hope that Ecuador exceed my expectations because I have good expectations for the Ecuadorian side. I want to make it very clear that I do not see this Ecuadorian side in any sort of bad light. But man, do I do think that they are in a tough, tough group considering that they have the Netherlands and Senegal alongside them. And so I, I, I just cannot see Ecuador. I don't see a path for Ecuador to get out of this group because I just, I do put Senegal and the Netherlands in a higher status. And another thing that really concerns me, especially when you're playing against elite teams like Senegal and the Netherlands is when you look at Ecuador's recent results, man, they actually have been struggling to score. And I think that's going to be the key here. In a similar way, how we talked about the technique and the chemistry of Saudi Arabia, they too have been struggling to score. And ultimately, that's why I don't have Saudi Arabia getting out of that group. Because at the end of the day, you ha- for as good as you play, for as dynamic as you are, you have to put the ball in the back of the net. And I'm going to question Ecuador's ability on the biggest stage and to put the ball in the back of the net. I'm going to question it. I don't think they ultimately have it. I think the number nine position is too lacking. And I think the rest of the squad, 
for as dynamic as they are, I think their output is just ultimately lacking. So for all of those reasons, I have Ecuador not getting out of the group. The race for second place in this group is going to be such an interesting and fun thing to see. Because oh, it could be any of these teams. It could be Qatar. It could be Netherlands. It could be Senegal. Even the race for first place, bro. Dude, yeah. It could be anybody, man. Anybody. Qatar could get high and they could top this group, man. <laughs> That's the power of a host nation. I love it. But what I love about Ecuador, man, is that even if that outcome happens the way that you're predicting it, this team is set for a good 2026, man. Oh my God. Having yeah, the experience of being in this group already, these guys all 20, 21, 22 years old, 2026 is going to be their tournament, regardless of what happens here. So at the very least, it'll be a learning experience for all these players. But I think we just differ, man. We just differ. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait to see who yes. ends up being right about this one because this group is fascinating to it's me. It's fascinating. And that right there is Ecuador, folks. Let us know. Where does this team end up? Do they get that round of 16 matchup against England? Do they come out in first? What's going to happen? Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to keep up with us as we continue doing these World Cup deep dives. The World Cup is coming up soon, and I cannot wait for it, man. So stay updated with us. Keep in touch, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.